of Titus, considering uh, what Paul wrote to Titus and then uh, what now serves as, as, a, as not just the inspired word of God to us, but as we're going to be taking the next number of weeks considering the portrait of a healthy church. And I don't know about you, but I'm certainly praying that we would become this kind of people this year, that God would help each one of us in our own private lives and then corporately as God's people to, to take good strides in church health and that we would be a healthy church and a healthy church is made up of healthy people. And this morning, as we've opened our Bibles to the book of Titus, we're going to consider uh, what Paul wrote to his young prodigy in the faith, a guy by the name of Titus. And he does so by writing him a letter. Now, I don't know about you, how many of you are the letter writers in the group? You enjoy a good long letter? Anybody? How many of you are the email people? Email people? How many of you are the texters, you know? Uh, um, you know, how many of you just rather bypass everything and have a phone call? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there. I'm kind of there because there's a lot of mixed messages that sometimes get sent in, in, in written form that we wouldn't intend. And, 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 you know, the hard thing about a letter compared to hearing somebody talk in person is that, you, you know, you miss out on so many things that the, the, the author is trying to communicate in terms of a tone, in terms of, you know, kind of setting, uh, as it were, the purpose uh, for the letter. And, and some of us are not as well written as we are spoken. And so, um, you know, I wonder, have you ever had that challenge before as you sit down to, to draft a, a personal letter or an email and you've, you found yourself kind of wrestling with the fact, how do you open the letter? It's, it's easy kind of once you get going, but, but that start trying to introduce what you're about to say, uh, it, it sets so much in terms of the tone of the letter, in terms of the purpose of what you're writing about. And so I have often thought this week, as I was preparing for the message this morning, uh, what was going into the Apostle Paul's mind as he sits down to write this letter to Titus? As he thinks about what he wants to include and what he wants to say to him, I, I wonder what went into his mind as he sat down uh, to pen this letter. Many of us understand we were here last week uh, just by way of review. This is the Apostle Paul a writing by inspiration of the Spirit of God to a trusted associate, to a fellow co-laborer in the gospel by the name of Titus. Paul, in the letter, calls him a son in the common faith. And so we don't really know a lot more about Titus other than just uh, Paul, just like Paul had with Timothy. He appears to also have had this close fatherly-son relationship in the faith with this guy by the name of Titus. You read the book of Acts, and Titus' name is never mentioned. And then you walk through kind of the timeline of the New Testament, and what many biblical scholars believe is that Titus came to faith in Christ during one of Paul's early missionary journeys. And then as Paul begins to invest in Titus and pour into him, a Titus, just like uh, Timothy and others, begins to be kind of this companion of the Apostle Paul for Paul's missionary work around the Mediterranean Sea and the area around the empire at the time. And so uh, what we do know about Titus, though, is that he was with Paul in some pretty difficult circumstances. 
And, and it seemed to be whenever there was like this real tension or, or this opportunity that would cause tension, uh, you find Titus there. And I think it's no surprise that Paul takes this guy who, although maybe young, is very much firm in his convictions in the faith, and Paul assigns him uh, as an apostle to this church in Crete. It's not just one church. It's really uh, a network of churches on this island. And, and, and Paul understood that, Tim, uh, that Titus would need that personal commitment and resolve uh, to, this, to pastor this new assignment uh, where he was being sent. And so Titus is actually a very short letter in our Bibles. I would say for many of us, it only spans maybe two to three pages. It's a very, very short letter. It's 46 verses. And out of the 46 verses, uh, it carries the longest introduction out of all Paul's letters in the New Testament, except for his letter to Romans. And so you think about that. For such a small letter, why does Paul have this long introduction? And that's because many Bible scholars believe that Titus was not just a personal letter, it was also a public letter. You see, Titus would receive the letter and he would read it and it would be personal to him. But the letter of Titus was something that was also public. It would be read in the churches. And so as Titus would receive this letter from Paul and then have this letter, letter of an apostle read in the church, what, 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 what Paul was wanting to happen is that people would hear what Paul introduces himself as. And he, he says, Paul, a... Uh, look on your Bibles there in Titus chapter 1. Notice Paul, a servant of God. And then he says, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think if you're Titus for a second, receiving this letter, he's like, yeah, of course you are. <laughs> like, of course that's who you are. I mean, Titus knew Paul. He knew that Paul was a servant of God. He knew that we, he was an apostle. So why is Paul putting these things in there? Well, many Bible scholars believe once again that this would be a public letter read to the church. And so this was not just a personal letter that Titus received, but it was a public letter that Titus would read to the churches there in Crete. And Paul wanted a letter that would really kind of equip Titus to have this document from an apostle giving him the authority to appoint elders and to lead the churches there in Crete. It was really Paul's effort to have his leadership in Crete not be questioned. Because certainly here's this young guy and he's, and he's now taking leadership in these churches, but he does so with the apostolic authority. And you know, some of us, we don't really quite well understand this, but when you think about Jesus and his disciples, that Jesus poured into those 12 men and that, remember, Paul was also added into that number as a 13th to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those apostles were given the responsibility of, of laying the foundation for the early church. All of most of our New Testament comes from these individuals. And, 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 as, and as now they are from now Paul to Titus, uh, kind of making this handoff, as it were, in, in the life of the church, Paul wanted to understand, Paul wanted Titus to understand that, and the churches there in Crete to understand. That Titus was taking this responsibility directly from an apostle, from Paul, and, and he was placed in this island, and this was no simple task. He went to really reset order and structure to a number of unorganized house churches. And as we looked at last week, Titus 
in, in, this, in this island in Crete was not a really great place to pastor. This, this wouldn't have been the place you wanted to go. Nevertheless, it was a place that Paul sent him. I mean, it was a beautiful island, but the people were a piece of work. I mean, they were a piece of work. I mean, in chapter one, you can just look down at verse 12. Uh, the Bible, Paul summarizes from a philosopher of their own who said, he, he says this about themselves, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It was the historian, the historian Plabius who said, nowhere in the ancient world were politicians more corrupt with public, public policy tilted toward the people in power than in Crete. So, I mean, remember last week, here's this island, and it was filled with a whole bunch of people who had kind of become mercenary soldiers to the highest bidder. The whole island was kind of known in the ancient world as this hub for piracy, these people who were infamous for treachery and greed. I love how Pastor J.D. Greer puts it. He says, just picture in your mind first century Tortuga, all right? Imagine trying to plant a church to the cast of the pirates of the Caribbean, all right? I mean, that really is, in many senses, this place where Titus is now to establish order and to appoint elders. And you've got you to gotta ask the question, man, how challenging would this have been for him? How incredibly challenging to think about what he is now being called to do. He's to appoint elders and to structure the church in such an environment that is filled with such corruption. You say, man, how in the world would he go about it? How, 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 does he, how long will this take him? Does he know even where to begin? And yet that's exactly what the Apostle Paul gave him. He entrusted him this opportunity. And so just as much as, as Paul understands that Crete will be this tremendous challenge for the gospel, they equally understand that it will be an incredible opportunity for the gospel. Because Crete is this strategic hub right in the center of the Mediterranean Sea. And you think about the opportunity for the gospel. You think about the opportunity for the advancement of Christ's church. If these churches and these house churches in that island could get mobilized to be the kind of people that God wants them to be. And so Paul says, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to hear God's word. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and we're just really breaking in uh, to the introduction of the book. And I want you to notice here Paul's introduction, not just personally to Titus, but publicly here uh, to the churches where this letter would be read. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Father, we thank you that as we gather this morning and all these many years later hear this word read, Lord, we continue to proclaim it because this is your word. And God, what you have said, we believe that you're still saying. And Lord, the truth that Paul described to Titus so many years ago, 
is, Lord, still the truth. It's still the power that transforms lives. It's still, Lord, the gospel that we need. And it is, Lord, it is what we need to understand, to understand our life and to understand our purpose in this world that you've placed us in. And so we ask these things all in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. You can be seated. It's just, it's just four verses, and yet together they form one long sentence. We may be really tempted to skip over the introduction. We might be tempted to jump past verse 4 in an effort to get into the body of what Paul is writing to Titus. But if we were to jump over the introduction, we would really, in a lot of ways, miss out on the purpose and the basis for which Paul served in ministry, and, and really in many ways, which will now serve as a model to Titus as well. That as Titus now steps in to this role of shepherding the church, he's going to see Paul's model for ministry and how it was the apostle was able to persevere in all these things. I mean, I want you to think about it. He is to appoint elders, right? He's to appoint godly leaders in a place where it seems like it is so full of corruption. When you think about the, the area of Crete and you think about these people that, 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 they, that, yeah, sure, they may gather as Christian assemblies on Sunday, but throughout the week, man, they're being bombarded by the onslaught of corruption. And they're living in a society where corruption is normalized when it is okay and everything is that way. And, and you think about, man, what a challenge. Because here's people who, people in these congregations, people in these Christian communities who would maybe be tempted to forget who they are and to forget what God had entrusted them to do. They are in a society filled with so many things other than pursuing godliness and, and all of that constantly rubbing up against the grain, as it were, people who may have forgotten their mission and their purpose in life. As Paul will say in this book, to adorn the gospel of God, that their lives would adore God in all things. And so Paul, notice in verse 1 through 4, he is kind of outlining, as it were, his sense of purpose. He's talking about his sense of mission. He, he, he wants T Titus, who's receiving this letter, to understand where his true encouragement and ministry will come from. And I wonder if Titus, like some here in this room this morning, might be in a position where we're struggling to understand our identity. We're struggling to understand our purpose. Maybe you're here this morning and you've grappled with this question over the last number of days and weeks. What is it that God's called me to do? What is it that in this season God has made me for and he's assigning for me? Maybe you find yourself feeling like maybe some there in Crete would have felt that they really don't know why they're there and they don't know whose they are. And they're struggling and grappling with what to do next. And to all of those things we find that, that Paul is going to outline for Titus really the source of his encouragement. The, the mission and the purpose and his motivation for why he did all of these things. And, and, and he wants it to be an encouragement, a real encouragement to Titus as well. And so in verses 1 through 4, Paul is really just kind of outlining for us his life. He's, he's outlining who he is and what God has entrusted him to do. Notice in verse 1, Paul begins by talking about his calling. Really, Paul is challenging Titus in his calling. You see, Paul begins in verse 1 
he says, Paul, a servant of God and a what? An apostle. So two things Paul wants Titus to understand about his calling. The first is that he's a what? He's a servant. A servant of whom? God. This was his calling. He had been called into Christ's service and, and if you have your Bible, I trust you do, turn back with me a few uh, pages in your Bible to the book of Acts. Find Acts chapter 26. There, Paul is outlining for us in the book of Acts his conversion experience. He's talking about how he came to faith in Christ. And in Acts chapter 26, we see his calling that he had been called into by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 16 of chapter 26, but Jesus said, but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Why? To appoint you as a servant and to witness to these things in which I, which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to you. You notice, notice what, what, what is the Lord Jesus doing? You remember Paul on his Damascus Road experience in the blinding light and he hears the voice from heaven and he, he hears Jesus saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And remember here in this passage, the Lord Jesus tells him, he says, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Here's your calling, Paul. What is it that you, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of these things? Paul was a servant of God. He had been called into the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says in Acts 20, he says, but I do not count my life as anything precious to myself, only that I finish the course, the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is saying, this is my calling. I'm a servant of God. Could you say that this morning? That you're a servant of God? Would you say it with me? I'm a servant of God. Say it with me. Here we go. I'm a servant of God. Could you really honestly say that? And could you and would you introduce yourself to someone else to describe your identity to them that first and foremost, Paul says, out of anything I could possibly tell you. I mean, he was an apostle. That carried a lot of weight. But prior to him being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was first and foremost a servant of God. The word in Greek is literally the word slave. Paul is saying, I am a slave of God. Paul is saying, he, he relies on God for everything, as he tells us in the book of Acts, for life and breath and for his being. Everything in his life found its, its source of identity first and foremost in the fact that he had been called by God into salvation and that he had an identity of being a slave to Christ. So what about you? When was your conversion experience? When was the day that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ shined bright into your heart and by faith and by grace you received God's gift of eternal life into your life and that day you trusted Jesus for salvation? How many remember that day? That is the greatest calling that God could ever put on your life. Before we think about being called into service or called into a ministry or called for Titus to pastor a church, his first and foremost primary call was that he could say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Can you say that? In everything, in the way that we live, 
and how we operate and, and, and what we do. Can you say that, that, that my reason for everything is my calling and it is that I have become a servant of Christ. Notice not only was he a servant of God, but secondly, he was in a what? He's an apostle. Now when, when you see the word apostle in your Bibles, it, it, it carries two senses. There's first kind of a technical sense in which Paul is actually referring here, but it also refers to a general sense as well. The technical sense is that Paul is part of a, a unique and unrepeatable group of people who had the privilege of being an eyewitness of the risen Christ. And Paul carries now this office of apostleship. He carries this office of being an apostle. So that's why when we receive the New Testament and in the New Testament, all these letters from apostles, why it carries this weight? Because why? It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, yes, but they, it comes to us as an apostle. And so notice here, Paul is telling us that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, but in a very generic way, it's just this idea of being a sent one. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it means to be a sent one. It means to be a sent one. We, we, we have one that's being sent out this week. Did you know that? Did you know that? Richard is going to be an apostle heading to, where are you going, Richard? He's going to Uganda on Friday. And so, 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 so Richard's not an apostle in the technical sense, but he's an apostle in the general sense that, that he is going, being sent with a message. Where is he? And he's going to where? He's going to Uganda. And, and, and what's the message carry, Richard? It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. He's being sent. Morgan is sent and being sent and will be sent, right? She's in all three. And, and what is she doing? She's going as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she is taking this message. And so notice here, Paul says he is a servant of God and an apostle. The fact is, those things could be said about you this morning. Are you a servant of Christ, a servant of God? And are you, have you been sent with a message? You see, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the call of discipleship is a call to, well, notice what? It's a call to being sent. It's a call to, we're, we're, we're all in this. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in this general sense of being one who is sent. I don't really like the description and the definition we've somehow moved in our modern mission circles that there are those who go and those who support. There are those who are sent and there are those who are the sender. I think that's helpful, but it really breaks down because in Christ's kingdom, all have been sent. All have been sent. It's just a matter of where you're sent to and how long you'll be there. But this morning, all of us this morning have been sent out by Christ with this gospel. Notice this message that Paul had been saved for. And so he's describing his calling. He says, notice, I'm an ambassador. We could say that. I'm an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm taking his message to people who have never heard. And I'm telling you, this is our calling as the church. As the church, we are servants of God. And we are sent, notice, we are sent with what? A message of hope. So Paul's going to talk about his calling. Secondly, notice he's going to talk about his mission. He's going to talk about his mission. Notice the end of verse 1. He says, what is he doing? For, here it is, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. You see that word for there? Paul is now describing his purpose. He's describing his mission. 
important. He says, for the sake of the faith. Notice, for the sake of is another way of saying for the purpose of or for saying for this mission in mind. Paul is saying, hey, this is my mission. It's the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth which accords in godliness. For the sake of the faith of God's, what's the next word? Of God's what? Elect. Some of you, when you hear that word, you bristle at that. The doctrine of election is a biblical doctrine. Some of us grapple with that and we wish it was talked about more and sometimes we think it needs to be talked about less. And we struggle to understand what is this gospel, of, what is this doctrine of election? I, I, I think Dr. Barnhouse was, was so good in his way that he uh, portrayed this image. He, he described election in this way. He says, imagine the cross on which Jesus died, kind of that cross there. And he says, imagine a cross, though, so large that in the center of that cross is a door. And he says, really, the doctrine of election is above that door. It's that verse in Revelation that says, whosoever will may come. Right? It's this offer, it's this free offer of the gospel that whosoever will may come and enter in through the door. And having come to Christ for salvation, will be saved. And he says, but it is like this, that having walked through that door that says, for whosoever will may come, that in turning back and looking upon the, the door from the other side, we see a heading that says, saved in him from the foundation of the world. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You see, election is really only understood in hindsight, in having come to faith in Christ and looking back and understanding that God chose you in him. But Paul here, when he's talking about election, he's talking specifically about salvation. He's talking about conversion. He says that his purpose, his mission was the faith of God's elect. It was, it was for people to come to saving faith in Christ. And Paul said, this is my mission. This is, this is why I'm here. This is why God has called me. It's for this purpose of, of, of the salvation, the conversion of God's elect. And notice, and then their discipleship and the knowledge of truth which accords with godliness. That, that's a lot of words to say people who are, who, are, who are accepting and receiving that truth and that truth is transforming them into a life of godliness. You see, Paul believed the gospel and he believed that the gospel had the power to change people's lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe the gospel has the power to change people's lives? And Paul says it's the truth of the gospel which transforms their life in godliness. I love how John Stott puts it. Listen to how he describes it. He says, Paul and has in mind our knowledge of the truth, which in itself leads to godliness or a God-centeredness. It is an essential feature of truth, a good test of its authenticity, that since it comes from God, it leads to God. Any doctrine which does not promote godliness is manifestly bogus. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Do you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, if you've had a real born-again experience, if you have had this election of faith uh, being, being, being saved and, and, and you've come to Christ and you, your life's been changed, it results in this godliness. It, it transforms you. 
And stop saying, hey, if you say that you've had this and, and, and it's not producing any godliness in your life, whatever you said you had is bogus. So come on, this is what it means to be a Christian. It, it means that my life now looks a different way. It means that I've been so radically saved by the grace and peace that is in Christ Jesus. And those two things that Paul's going to talk about tonight here, those things change us. God's grace changes me. And it's still changing me. And how many of you are thankful God's grace is still changing you? Can you say amen? But it should be changing you. If, if you profess to know him, if, if you're basing your life in the truth of the gospel, it will transform you. And some people, they never are transformed. Some people go through life and they're never changed. Why? Because they're not actually embracing the message of the gospel. They're believing some other gospel. I love how Steve Cuss describes a gospel. He says, it is a path with a promise that leads to a payment. And there are some people in life that, that, that they're believing a false gospel. They're living a false path filled with all of these false promises. And in the end, it will cost them something. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is based on his grace. It's based on his peace. It's based on what God does in moving towards us. And Paul says God is moving toward people. That's, that's really what he's saying here. God's moving toward people. And so Paul says, I've made it my mission in life to reach people for Christ. So that they would receive the gospel and that their lives would be changed. Question. Is that your mission in life? You see, some of us right here are really struggling with understanding our purpose. We're struggling with understanding what God wants us to do in this season. And we're not finding much meaning in it. We're not finding much satisfaction in it. But that's because we're living our life contrary to the life that God desires for us to live. It's like C.S. Lewis, remember in his book, and he talks about somebody being satisfied with mud pies. Because they can't even fathom of what it means to have a holiday at the sea. And there's some of us in our life right now, and we're so wrapped up in this mud pie. And we're trying to make sense and purpose and meaning out of mud pies. And God says, I'm giving you something far greater. You embrace your life and my mission, and you'll find the greatest reward. And so Paul says, I've bet my life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've bet my life on being, this is my calling as a servant of God and an apostle, and, and, and now God's called me to what? To seek the conversion of souls and their discipleship. And I'm telling you what, if you know anything about the apostle Paul, you know that he did that well. Because we can today read all of these letters and lives that had been changed through his faithful ministry and you know, I'm wondering this morning, what about your life? Whose lives will be changed because of your mission? Whose lives for all eternity are going to find themselves on a different course of life because of the investment that you made? Paul says there are some who only give mental assent to the gospel. He tells Titus this. He says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They say they do, but their lives don't bear it out. 
Paul told Timothy, there are some who are always learning, but their lives can never produce this kind of godliness. They never arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And so Paul says, hey, this is my calling, Titus. This is my mission. And then thirdly, notice he's going to give them his motivation. What got the apostle Paul up in the morning? Think about all that Paul endured for the cause of Christ. Can you think a minute about all the things that Paul endured? Someone tell me, shout them out. What were some of the things that Paul endured in in his mission to reach people for Christ? Tell me. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. What else? He was what? Beaten and shipwrecked. And what else? He he faced hunger and what? Snake bites and and betrayal and, and personal betrayal and ministry. And I mean, come on. That's a hard resume. How many of us would probably go through one of those things and then quit? But there was something that got him up in the morning. And there was something that motivated him to stay faithful to the calling of God on his life, to the mission that God had for him. And that's what he says in verse four. He, he, uh, verse, end, of, end of verse three, notice, oh no, verse two, really verse two. He says, in hope of eternal, someone tell me the next word, life. That was his motivation. It was eternal life. An eternal life with a God who never lies, who promised before the ages began and at a proper time manifested in his word that through the preaching which, which I've been entrusted, Paul says, by the command of God our Savior. What made him get up in the morning? What made him put his sandals on and go? It was the hope of the gospel. It was the hope of the gospel. Paul says, notice, he says, and a God who cannot lie, he's given me this hope, and and, and this hope that Paul talks about here is not at all the hope that we uh, imply in our conversations today. Paul's hope doesn't imply uncertainty. It's not like, hey, I hope tomorrow will be a nice day, or, oh, I hope I get the job, or, oh, no, I hope my best friend comes to visit me. It's, It's none of those hopes. It's not uncertain for the Apostle Paul, his hope was was based on a different quality. It wasn't our hope. It was a hope that comes from God and it's a hope that's grounded in the character of God and the promises of God. And that's why Paul says, so for this reason, I don't lose heart. Paul says, this is why I do what God's called me to do because it's based on a promise of a God who never lies. And I have a hope that lives beyond this life, amen? This is what got Paul up in the morning. This is what motivated him to sustain himself through every challenge. It's the gospel, it's the hope of the Lord Jesus. And I'm telling you, it really burdens my heart today when you look out in the church and the church just seems like it's starving for hope. church ought to be the people that have the answer to the reason for what's going on in this world. It's the, it's the church that should have the answer for what God is, is doing in this world today and, and, and the salvation that can be theirs. 
Paul says, if, if we go through this life without it, he says, we are of all men most miserable. You know, there's a lot of miserable people in this world. It's a lot of miserable people because they can't make sense of their purpose. They can't make sense of their mission. They don't understand what their life is apart from God. And they need hope. And the church is the place they're going to get it. So our lives must be filled with this kind of hope. Our lives have to be filled with the gospel. Because the gospel is what produces this in our life. And if we're not dwelling in the gospel, if, if we're not constantly telling ourselves the gospel and speaking the truth of the gospel into our life, then here's my friend what's happening. We're speaking the gospel, the false gospel of whatever this world has. And that's where Titus was in Crete. He was living in a corrupted culture and there was certainly a lot of corrupted gospels and things that people would hear and be entertained by and want to believe, but they lend, they, 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 in the end resulted in a false promise. And Titus, Paul saying to Titus, Titus, there is something that's going to sustain you in your ministry. And it is not going to come from inside yourself. It's not going to come from something you can produce. It's going to come from the grace, notice verse 4, to Titus, my true son in a common faith, grace and what? Peace. Aren't those the two things we receive when we come to know Christ for salvation? Don't we come to know the grace of God in our life? Salvation's nothing that I earned. It's nothing that I obtained. It's God moving toward me in grace and to extend to me his grace. And, and, and in having done that, I experience such deep and peace. And, and, and I think what Paul is telling Titus here is, hey, Titus, you're going to go to Crete, and this is why I left you there. You're going to appoint elders and put everything in order. And, and I know you're looking out on the, 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 the situation that you're in and, and you're pretty discouraged about it. And, and, and you might really, this, this, this whole new assignment might be a big cause for discouragement in your life. But Titus, don't forget the gospel. Titus, don't forget our hope. Don't forget, look at my life. Look at what God's done in my life by calling me to be a servant of Christ and giving me this ministry of apostleship. And Titus, now you as well, as you go forward, remember the calling of God on your life. Remember the mission for your life. And, and, and Titus, this is how you're gonna be motivated every day of your life is by this gospel, this hope, this hope. So where are you at this morning? You struggling? You grappling with your mission? You're grappling with personal decisions of what's next and you can't really seem to make sense of it and you're just, you're just in a place when you're, you're, just, you're just not really sure. Why don't you go back to your calling? Is your calling sure? Maybe if you have questions this morning about your purpose, maybe it's because you got questions about your salvation. But if you go back to the moment in life when God called you, and he saved you, and now you think about the purpose to which God saved you for, is your life living that mission? Are you staying true to the mission that God has for you? Are you waking up every moment of, are you waking up every day being motivated by the hope of eternal life? 
If you're not, then I'm sure you're probably really wrestling and grappling with your identity as a person. But when we know whose we are and we know what he's called us to do, there's a lot of purpose in that. Paul wrote this letter to be an encouragement to a young pastor. But really, it was also to be an encouragement to the church in Crete and by then reference, the church in Catawba. So this morning, are you encouraged? Are you encouraged? Let's go back. Let's go back to what God has ordained for us. And let's live in the light of that. Let's make sense of our life by how God makes sense of it. Not how we do. Father, we thank you this morning. In many ways, Lord, I feel like I struggled to communicate this morning what you placed on my heart. I pray that, Lord, this morning we as a church know our calling. You tell us to make sure that our calling and our election is sure. So there's certainly something in our life that we need to investigate and know. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning that they're just wrestling in life right now. They're finding, uh, they, they just don't know where to turn. They, they don't know what the next step looks like. They're really confused. Lord, would you this morning surround them with grace and peace? Lord, would you surround them with what they first knew when they first came to you? And Lord, help us to remember we still, we still live our Christian life this godly life because of those two things. We love you and praise you and ask these things in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? Glory's gonna play a hymn. I invite you just to bow your head right there where you're at in the chair this morning. Just a few moments here. This is an opportunity for you to respond in which way God has spoke to you this morning. We just hear God's word and we walk away without responding how the Spirit of God is leading in our life. I think we, we, we grieve the Spirit of God. And so this morning, I pray that you would just respond to the Spirit as God's Spirit is working in your heart and specifically in your situation. What does it look like today for you to, to take a step forward in what we looked at and studied this morning? There's some this morning, couple who have asked for prayer in our church this morning, some prayer cards during this time, would you just come and pray and pray for one of these, a fellow brother or sister in Christ this morning. In just a moment, we're going to gather around the table and I invite you also during this time to begin to prepare your heart for that moment. Maybe you need to come and get alone with the Lord and make some things right between you and God this morning. However, God's speaking just give you some moments to respond in whatever way he leads.